0: here we are
1: here we are welcome back welcome back yeah science in between
0: yeah this is scott i'm I'm ollie and yeah this is us this is i
1: have no idea what episode we're (laughs) we're on i have not Uh, like yeah
0: no i think uh i think this is uh 120 this is 126 yeah I
1: had a conversation with someone recently and I'm like, hey, you know, you want to check out the, the Brian Brown Science in the City episodes. They're at back in like episode 16 or something yeah. like,
0: wow, yeah. you know. We're, yeah. We're doing this. Yeah. yeah. It's almost yeah. like we're, we do this with some regularity. Yes.
1: That's <laughs> right. Some regularity. Some regularity.
0: Is. <laughs> it's nice to be regular when you're older. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a goal. That, there we go. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, the dad jokes have entered the room.
1: Scatological humor. Check. Check. Oh, yeah.
0: All right. Well, and that's a nice transition into what we're going to be talking about today. I don't
1: even know how that's the transition, but I'm just going to let it go.
0: Oh, you know, because cause today we thought we'd talk a little bit about our values, and apparently <laughs> it has established a little bit about... What um, our values are,
1: right? Dad jokes, catalogic humor, stupidity no. is stupidity.
0: one of our is one of our values. It's
1: <laughs> <His> core mission <laughs> values, right there. Wow, oh, sad. good stuff. You want to set uh, set this up like you you yeah, this is your you, yeah you you suggested this, and I was like, yes, let's do that.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, so a, a tiny bit of backstory to this. So, um, at Penn State, we're developing a, a program that i know you have a version of it millersville which is a teacher in residence program to help uh emergency cert teachers um get certified so they're they're already teaching in classrooms they're not fully certified and they'd like to be certified so they can stay in the schools where they are and this is ha- this is increasingly the case in almost every state certainly in pennsylvania that yeah. there's a high demand for teachers that, especially um, under-resourced school districts are hiring people on emergency cert with the hope that they can get them certified and, and get them in as full-time teachers. So as part of this, I was working with, I am um, working with three colleagues, uh, one in science ed, uh, Rishi Krishmaruthi and, and two in math ed, Fran Arba and Ricardo Martinez. And we had a meeting and we were starting to develop these, these methods courses out of the, cause it's going to be an integrated math science uh, methods course for these That's cool. folks. Yeah, So we, we had a sort of orienting day where we were trying to think about like, what, what is it that we really care about in terms of teacher education? and it led to this mm. conversation about values. So I thought it would be interesting for you and I to talk a little bit about our values as they manifest in, in our work in teacher education. What do we care deeply about? What do we think is important um, and then how does that – we probably can't get to the second half. Maybe we will. But how does that drive our decision-making in the way that we think about our own courses, our own professional learning opportunities that we provide for others, and maybe even uh, what we do for ourselves? How do we orient our lives to those values? So so that was just sort of the the idea was can we can we talk about some – with the assumption that you and I have a fair number of shared values – um, so we're probably going to be ping ponging similarly sure. and being able to respond to each other. So, uh, uh, and that's what I
1: said, like before I, I said, I, yeah, I have notes and you have notes, but we're yeah. probably going to go off notes. As soon as we start, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause
0: yeah. We so, have
1: a, so some overlap, you know, I think uh, we'll have some overlap. Yeah. A uh, sure. little bit, a little bit.
0: Um, Maybe. but I'll, but I'll start since it was my, my sure. suggestion. Um, and, The one that I've been thinking about and was thinking about this morning in particular before today's episode was practice. And we talk about that in so many ways, um, but the way that it's really been resonating with me right now isn't the way actually that we typically talk about it. So it's not in the way of like, what is science as a practice? What is teaching as a practice? It's the more sort of conventional notion of practice, which is because I've been thinking about why is it? we've talked about this too but people who are in-service teachers who are who have an established practice they they have a way of teaching why is it such a struggle to to transition to a new form um of teaching a new kind of practice and so i've been thinking about that and and what it what it has struck in me is this idea of practice in the more traditional sense of doing something to get better at it right, right? So if you think about like music, I I was, uh, analogizing across to music and to sports. And so I was thinking about, well, with practice, um, you know, like with, with guitar, our, our teachers often say, well, can you, can you give me some resources or you can, can you have, uh, send me some videos so I can see what this looks like. And what I'm, my reaction to that is, well, that's not really going to work. It's not going to hurt. Yeah. What you need to do is you need to practice. You need yeah. to do the thing. You can't. you are not talking about
1: the game. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. <laughs> we're talking about
0: practice. So, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, that idea that you you need to practice to get better. And what does practice mean in teaching? It means doing it. You have to do it. You yeah. can't watch somebody else do it. And like I wrote a paper about this, about the invisible and transparent problem, like watching somebody else teach is a ve- is not a great way to learn unless there's some yeah. mediation or some support to help you understand what's going on because you're just watching somebody do something that's a very complex activity and parsing what's important and what isn't is is really difficult. Um so watching it and curriculum materials don't carry practice really at all. So uh, or very little. So looking at a curriculum doesn't help. So I think you know this idea that you've got to try it And I can go deeper into that about, you know, like if you're a guitar player, is it easy to switch to banjo? Right. So, because that's sort of what we're talking about with experienced teachers is like, I'm really pretty good at guitar. And now you're asking me to play banjo or mandolin, or, you know, I don't know enough about stringed instruments to know which ones are close in, in to each other in terms of ease of, or if you're a a sports ball person, you know, like I'm a baseball player, I want to become a golfer or I'm a golfer and I want to become a football player, like, you know there are some things that will help in that transition that you have expertise in, and there are some things about that expertise that actually hinders you in the, in that transition. so I thought that idea of practice was really important.
1: I think that's a good one, and I think that um to kind of build on that a little bit was you know i uh I started taking uh trumpet lessons, yes, you did yeah so i i I think I mentioned this probably like you know sometime last year that i I joined the community band and at the start of the year i was like uh you know i'm gonna really try to dig into and get better because i you know i hadn't played for like 30 some years and i picked it back up and i you know reached out to a uh a uh a trumpet professor at at millersville at our college who had retired and i'm like hey can he lives like close to campus i'm just like taking my trumpet and like middle of the day yesterday i went you know had an hour long lesson with him, then went back to campus for more meetings. Mm-hmm. And I can watch him play, right? Yeah. I can watch him play. But it's not helping me become but what's great is he he plays and he says specifically, here's what I'm doing with my lips. I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this. Gives yeah. me specifics to watch. And then he has me do it. Yeah. Right. And so it gives a, you,
0: hopefully gives you feedback on it. Right? And he gives just, me
1: feedbacks and he gives mm. me like specific things that I need to work on for the next time. He's like, yeah. when you do this, I want you to stand in front of a mirror and do this. I want you to take off the mouthpiece and do this. I want you to, you know, put your finger next to your lips because if it's moving, then I don't, that shouldn't be happening. So he's giving it like really breaking it down in, in ways that are, you know, that I can focus on. It's, it's scaffolding, right? It's yeah. that's all, all it is. It's scaffolding. Yeah, totally. And 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 it's so cool to see it and to be in that learner, you know, to be in the learner perspective and also be like a teacher educator and like be like steeped in all this stuff. But then to see it being applied to me as an adult is like, yeah. I'm just like, you know, like a pick and slop. I'm like, yes, you know, yeah. but I'm like struggling. Like it's yeah. But I mean, he's so supportive. I mean, I'm not struggling, but I'm like yeah. not getting the payoff yet. But I know I will, you know, right. I know I will. I just because it's, it's practice, practice, practice. All right. So, well, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I, all right. I'm going to go a completely different direction. And this one's okay. going to like, uh, the, I think this is maybe going to surprise you because the first one I thought of when you sent, you texted me, hey, let's talk about values. Okay. Stewardship.
0: Oh, all right.
1: Yeah. I think yeah. for me, one of the things that I, I love that concept of being a steward. I love Hmm. it. Like, and I think that what, what I want to try to do in my classroom is be a a steward of the profession, but also being someone who's like working within to help the thing grow and change and evolve. Like I have this gigantic tree in our yard, right? Hmm. It's older than me. Like Mm it's, and it's after I'm gone, it's still going to be there. Right. Because I've been a good steward, right. Of it. So yeah. while I've been in this, you know, we've been in this house for 25 years, this tree, we, you know, we got rid of all the trees around it so it could take over the yard, right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And so I have to be an active participant in making sure that the thing can grow and evolve and do all that. Mm. However, I want to make sure that the thing lives on beyond. And I think that's how I view my my classroom, how I view learning, mm-hmm. how I view, you know, science instruction all of it right is that what i'm trying to do is create an environment that can last beyond my work with them right but also like to push the boundaries to help people evolve and help people grow and and that's a hard thing to like really walk that line between being somebody who like really wants to like cause some like mammoth evolution in people but also be respectful of the of the fact that there's a there's this culture, this this ongoing, sustained culture that we're trying to. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, am I capturing all that? Because like that's yeah, the... no, I
0: think that's lovely, and and um, yeah, I don't think and and it can scale all the way out to yes. like part of why we do science is stewardship of our environment and and yeah. the earth and and all of the you know the those pieces too. But yeah, I think that's really nice, and it. And, is- and
1: and our universities, like our universities, like they're like hundreds of years old, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, and what we're coming in is we're we're just like a little drop in that, right? Mm-hmm. But we have to make sure that we're stewards in our time there. We have to make sure that we're good stewards because like after like, and you know, you and I, we can see the finish lines in our careers. It's like, you know, five, 10 years down the road, somebody else, we just want to make sure that we pass that baton on to somebody else who's as a good steward, but we have to make sure that while our work here Mm. is, is, is we take that in consideration, right?
0: Yeah. No, I like that. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so I think building on that um a value that I would say we certainly talk about a lot is relationships mm. right that yeah. that all of this when we think about teaching and is fundamentally about relationships, and I think that's related, no pun intended to um to the stewardship component right because yeah. because what you're stewarding, whether that's your classroom or a university or whatever. I mean, fundamentally, these institutions are about relationships and these Mm -hmm. communities are about relationships. And so to be a good steward, one of the things you have to do is you have to build relationships with the people in that. And I think it also gets at, at some of the pieces that we think about, you know, when we think about professional learning, like two examples, one sort of, I guess, positive and one a little... Not negative, but um, disappointing r- with regard to this is, you know, like I was just at another local school district yesterday, and it's a place where I'm trying to cultivate relationships um, because I don't know the teachers there yet, and I'm trying to build relationships with them. So I'm spending time going out there. And yesterday it meant, you know, it's about a 20 minute, 25 minute drive from from where I live. And so I drove out there for half an hour, 40 minutes to meet with a teacher and drive back. Like that is, is time that I'm investing in that relationship because that's how they get better, right? They, they get better in by you investing time in them and showing that you care and, and, And then, you know, the flip side of that, one of the, I think, frustrations that we've all felt doing this professional development work with the state is how little time we have with people and how little we've been able to develop relationships with folks, right? Like, not being face-to-face, having relatively limited times with people means that, you know, there are some of those folks, not surprisingly, the ones that I feel most connected to are the ones that I met face-to-face in September, Um, but you know, this, this idea of like the foundation of all of this is about relationships and, and cultivating those and, and caring about them.
1: And I, uh, so you, you kind of like dip into one of mine is
0: because yeah. of relationships,
1: because, you know, there's, there's grain size with relationships, this relationships yeah. one-on-one, which I think is where we can have a lot of impact by making, have building relationships with an individual. Mm. But I also think about like, Community. That's mm-hmm. like one of my, yep. you know, was on my list, and you yep, kind of dipped too. into that because what what we're really trying to foster and cultivate is a classroom community, a safe community. Mm-hmm. And by safe, I don't mean like that. You know, hey, we're you're, we're not going to get challenged. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean. I mean, I mean that someone can come and 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 feel that they're valued and their learning is valued, and mm-hmm. that that they can. You know, work through their understanding, work through their stuff, whatever, you know, the, you know and I think that stuff is going to change depending on the nature of the class, but in a way that they know they're going to have support from us as instructors, from their classmates, and they're going to be able to work through that stuff and yeah. and community i think that's the like the next grain size up in terms of relationships is that you know we're not just talking one on one we're talking about building this you know a learning community a classroom community in which people can learn from one another and i think that that for me is what's critical is like i think if we're if i think about my trajectory as a teacher over the you know last 30 years is that i'm i feel like i'm more comfortable just being on the sidelines and letting, mm-hmm. and letting the the folks, at least I think I'm more comfortable. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, letting people learn from each other and letting people like duke it out and then me coming in and that may duke it out. I mean, like, you know, talk it out, like with, in mm-hmm. a, in a safe and supportive way, but then for me just to come in and like, Oh, but have you considered this and then step mm-hmm. back. And I think it's from, you know, seeing other people do it and seeing mm-hmm. other people. And uh, we just talked about like practice and then like trying to do that and try to put it into action myself, yeah. you know? And I think that's, you know, something I, I learned from you because um, mm-hmm. what taking, you know, one of my first doctoral classes was a learning theories class with you right. and just seeing how you just kind of like came in and dropped like knowledge on us, like by re- having us read this stuff that was really challenging. And then you would just like, and the class classes were lots of like you just going, you know, have you thought about this? And then people mm-hmm. just like fighting it out or, you know, and and yeah. then it was, but it's like cool. And I was like, yeah, I got it. I got to work on that because that's something I want to. Mm. And I, I don't think that any time in that class, like anybody felt like, you know, at, you know, on defense. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think yeah. they felt like maybe their uh, ideas and beliefs were being challenged but I don't think they felt personally challenged. You know, yeah. that's the difference. And I think that's the the thing I want to foster a, in, a, in a classroom community is they feel challenged by the information. They feel challenged by the ideas and the concepts I'm bringing to the table and the things that I want them to put to practice and the way I want them to see the world. But I'm not challenged who they ha- – maybe not who they are or like yeah. challenge, like putting them on defense in terms of like, hey, I'm devaluing you, Yeah. you know?
0: No, I think that's – when you said that, what – what I was thinking about when you said that is there's a difference between challenging ideas and challenging identity. And and you, you captured that too, I think, which is, yeah. I mean, you, you want people to feel like their ideas are constantly under scrutiny and being pushed and that we don't accept, accept ideas on face value because that's not how you get good ideas. You get good ideas by them being pushed and being pressed and being probed and being, argued with against other ideas compared with but that's not how you get a healthy community by comparing individuals that way like that leads to badness right and that and we have systems that are set up to do that i mean grading being the most obvious one but there's tons of them in our system where it's about comparing you and your identity basically to somebody else and then using that as a way to decide how good you are um as opposed to the idea piece so yeah i think that's that's a really good one, so that that brings me to I'm now debating between two, but I'm gonna pick one that's a low hanging fruit for me, which is curiosity, right? so mm, we you know yeah. this idea of curiosity versus judgment um and I think that goes to what you're saying, right, which is you know, I was observing a student teacher a couple of days ago and and she was talking about how she was struggling sometimes with questions and and how to ask questions that weren't leading the kids to some answer. And so one of the things I said to her is like, your job as a teacher is to be curious. Your job is not for your students to understand your ideas. It's for you to understand their ideas. So you should be asking questions about, I don't understand. Can you explain that to me? Here's a part of what you said that is still not clear to me. Can you explain that to me in a different way or, or using different words or some other thing? Right. Um, So, this idea that like your job as a teacher is first to understand, right? That's an old uh, who's well, I'll think of who who said that seek first to understand. You said said that. Yeah, Yeah. I said that. Right. No, it's some old dude (laughs) from the 50s who was talking about like making friends with people, making friends and influencing people. Uh, Carnegie. Oh, is that Dale Carnegie? Is that that Dale Carnegie? Anyway, whoever it Um, was. But but I think in teaching, it's not something that we naturally do. Right. Like teachers tend to think I need to explain things clearly so the kids understand. It's like, no, you don't. That's not your goal. Your goal is for your kids to explain their thinking well so that they understand it. Right. That's the goal. If I can explain my ideas well, then I can understand them. And so you're getting your kids to explain their ideas so they understand them, not ex- not you explain your ideas so that they understand them. So curiosity, focus on curiosity, not judgment. I think
1: just to kind of shift gears a little bit, and I think this probably is going to be in your core values too, and I don't know how to like w- w- word it, but I think that a – mindful respect of research and evidence Mm. about our jobs about our craft Mm -hmm. right so because i mean there is a body of research that you know influences teaching that should influence teaching let's say that right and like i think if we were practicing doctors right like like medical doctors yeah. and we're like yeah you know we're gonna do this thing because we're gonna try know, leeches right because it pra- it offers you know some immediate relief right yeah uh, and we're like let's do that yeah and then someone comes along and says you know uh there's lots of research that shows that leeches leeches doesn't work it doesn't yeah. work at all But hold on. I I see it working, you know, and it's like, well, I mean, it provides some temporary relief, but like ongoing, uh, you know, not so much. And, but I mean, I think not, I'm, I'm not like trying to like, that's not a put down. I think that, uh, but I think that what my intent is that we need to be respectful of the fact and not just respectful, but aware and put it Mm. into practice. Right. Mm. And if we're doing something that we know, you know isn't aligned with with what the research says then i don't know why we're doing it right mm. and you know one of the things one of my uh, you know soapboxes in in my my doctoral class that i work with you know a lot of educational leaders is that you know there's these traveling medicine shows that come yeah. to schools and districts mm. and they We're trying to sell their wares and it's in, it's like books, it's curriculum, it's technology. They're come, they come to town and like, Hey, look, we can offer some, you know, improvement on scores, whatever.
0: Silver bullet solution. Yeah.
1: Silver bullet solution that, and it's the same thing as these leeches, right? It's like, they'll provide some temporary relief. You, maybe you'll see like a bumper or whatever, but like. The research is is pretty clear that, like, any type of, like, mammoth change that happens like that is not a silver bullet. There's no yeah. silver bullets for any of that. Yeah. You know, if you want to change practice, if you want to, like, improve learning, it, it requires lots and lots of effort. And it requires lots of intentional, you know, professional development. It, it requires lots of stuff. And there's yeah. an evidence base that shows what that stuff is. Yeah. And I think that – um being mindful of that, and, and and I think that's part of my core value is recognizing that. And I, I bristle whenever I hear someone say, hey, we just adopted this thing, you know, and there's a couple of local districts that are doing this. And I won't say what yeah. the things are because I just yeah. – but I'm like, okay. well, has somebody looked into the evidence of that? And I'm like – well, we read this book and I'm like, well, did you look at the And it, that book doesn't have any citations. There's not a single citation. It's like, right. you no, know, just someone's opinion, Bob, Bob's opinion on Bob's opinion it. on something. And it's like, and the the person came to the district, sold the book and, you know, and I was like, well, wow. and yeah, it's just hard for me because it's such a core value of mine that I, you know, yeah, I just bristle at it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree completely. I think the the tension there that I've seen is from the other side where teachers who who are being asked to change their practice are like, "Well, show me the evidence." And and for them what that means is they want a study that says if you do it this way, it will be better for the test scores. Right. Um, and and I think the truth of it is there's not a ton of evidence for that. And and that is not because these pedagogies don't work. It's because that sort of Research is very difficult, if not impossible to do in education, that kind of comparative research, because there's so much noise in the system that, you know, to your point, like, we're going to make a change based on, you know, Bob's advice about teaching, and then we're going to look at the data to see what happens. Well, scores could go up, scores could go down, but Bob's book about teaching is unlikely to be the factor in either of those things, right? Because there's so much noise, like you, you had teacher turnover, you had different groups of kids, you had all sorts of things that get that a, yeah, yeah. a global pandemic. Yeah, global pandemic. Right. So it's like so so comparison studies to me, uh, uh, I just don't understand them because they they can't possibly tell us what they do in natural sciences. And I think this is why it's such a struggle, especially for us, because our folks that we're working with, especially in secondary, have backgrounds in in natural science. So they're like, well, the experiment is the gold standard. It's like, well, sort of in some right. areas, like if earth science had experiment as the gold standard, we wouldn't know much about the earth because you can't, there's only one earth. You don't get to experiment on it. So, you know, there there are lots of areas of natural science that require different kinds of reasoning and different kinds of thinking. Um, And human behavior is the arguably most complex system to understand. Um, So thinking that we're going to do experiments on it, especially at scale in classrooms or school districts, is completely bananas to me.
1: Well, and – They they liken it to the medical research, and you know, and if you dig, if you just scratch the surface on that medical research, not saying that it's not done as experiments, but they reduce a lot of the noise, right? I mean, there's a there's a history of reducing the noise by saying in problematic ways, in really problematic ways. It's like, okay, we're not going to have any women participate in our experiment because, well, they're women, and you know, they they menstruate, they do weird stuff, right? And let's just let's just pull them out of the get pregnant. Jeez. Right, they get pregnant, and what if they get pregnant during the study? That's going to mess with our data, uh, right? So let's just pull them out of the data. Yeah. There's lots and lots of yeah. um, you know history of that behind yeah, the
0: psychology it. studies, all based on undergrads, right? Right, In, uh, institutions, and what that does to
1: right, it. right, yeah. and so that population is itself just yeah. a subset of a larger population that you know, yeah. So it's all, the noise. And who said that the test scores were like the gold standard of what we should count as? Like, well, they get evaluated
0: on them, so that's why they want to know, right? And it's like somebody said they were
1: important. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, it's not even that somebody said that they were important. It's that you know this is the this is the thing that frustrates me most about the quantification stuff, right? Is it's like, well. Because you can quantify it, you then assume that it's more meaningful and that it actually measures something. So it's like, well, does the keystone really measure kids' biology understandings? And I would say, meh. I mean, it's a, it's a data point. It tells you something, but is it the same as reading an explanation of a phenomenon? Absolutely not. And I don't even think the test developers would say that it was, but, but what I'm saying is like. If you're going to use that as the gold standard, then what you're going to get is you're going to get a system that gets bent in that direction, and you have to think about the consequences of that. And I think you know we don't. Um, yeah. So sorry. So I, I think this,
1: that, I took us down that rabbit hole by saying no you know, e- evidence minded, research minded. I don't know how do you want to put that. Well, as a, I don't know,
0: but but it links to a one that for me is related, but a slight variation on that, which is rigor. Right. And so I value rigor, but I have a different notion of rigor than we traditionally think about when we think about science. Like, you know, when we think about science teaching, we think about rigor in terms of the amount of content that is covered. So that's usually the difference between um, between a track even though no schools track, right? You ask any principal, like, well, we don't have tracking. It's like, well, you have you have biology one and then you have honors biology. Is that, right. that's not a track? College no, prep no, and- no, yeah, that, that's not tracking. But anyway, so this idea, the difference between those is almost always the amount of content that is included in the course, right? So if it's got more content,
1: then it's more, then it's rigorous. more rigorous. If it's right. got
0: less content, it's less rigorous. And by content, I also mean that traditional definition of content, which is memorizing lots of different words, right? So knowing lots of words or knowing algorithms or procedures, like, you know, again, our projectile motion problem, which I love to beat up on because I'm a physics teacher. (laughs) So it's like, okay, um, that's how we're going to define rigor is can you follow procedures, set procedures over and over in, in a mechanical way, right? Which is this really what we want humans to be able to do and then memorize stuff that you can look up on the internet so so we're going to we're going to build humans to basically be bad computers as opposed to building humans that can do something that's actually useful and different you know this goes back to our chat gpt and all that stuff all, all right. those conversations about what are computers good at and what are people good at and how do we take advantage of that and not try and just turn people into computers in the worst possible sense. So this idea of rigor, I think, is really important because if your if your notion of rigor is that more content equals rigor, then what happens with AST and those kinds of pedagogies is they they get characterized as best case less rigorous, worst case fun, right? Which is like, oh those right. those pedagogies are great because the they're really engaging and kids love them but they don't really learn anything, right? They're they're not rigorous. They're just fun. And both of those things really um, bother me tremendously because they, they take a really anemic notion of rigor and then use it to evaluate the differences between these kinds of practice.
1: Yeah, rigor.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be more rigorous because I'm going to give them
1: 25 problems to do tonight instead of 20. Yeah. Right. right. Rather than how about two really hard problems that are really going to, you know, make them think. Make them think yeah. that their brains are going to hurt at the end. You know,
0: or, or even worse, like what we do is like, well, we're we're going to give them more problems and less time to do them in. Yeah. So, so that's really going to prove that these. Not only can they do the problems, they can do them fast, and that's what we really want. We want kids who can do problems fast. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> yeah. come on. Talk about the definition of a computer. Like that's what computers do. Good. That's that's what they're good at. They yeah. do problems fast. Like we give them a task, they're really good at it. We tell Jet, Chat GPT to write a, a fourth grade essay about lunchtime. It's going to bang that right out for us, right? It'll well, write it in thirty seconds.
1: Not to go down the Chat GPT yeah. rabbit hole, but <laughs> uh, but I was listening to radio yesterday and ah. Uh, Someone, I guess they did a a, a a test with it with GMAT questions and MCAT questions, uh-huh. and the ChatGPT would have passed both the essays. They would have both crit exact. both of them. Yeah,
0: that's good. Like, like with that. the
1: one with with the they had one person who was like assesses them and says, yeah, but they probably get a B B-modest. You yeah. know, if it was if we're to grade a B B-modest on like and yeah. I don't remember way they, solid. GMAT that, like that's solid, zero, yeah. zero
0: effort, put it in, yeah, churn it probably. out.
1: Yeah. Probably generated in like no time at all. Let's do yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. ChatGPT.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm going to, that's how I'm going to take my MCATs. Yeah. It.
0: Well, we'll have to have another show on ChatGPT because I also heard a thing about comparing it to Google. Like what's the difference between asking Google questions and asking ChatGPT questions in terms of the quality of answer that you get. And I think it, um, that's a fascinating notion to think oh. about it as a, a different way of, of searching. Cause that's what we do with Google is we like, Oh, like what's the best, whatever, or how do you what how do you explain this thing and you type it into google well now chat gpt will write a co- cogent answer to that as opposed to google just gives you a whole bunch of links and you have to figure out which one's credible how to you know anyway yeah. chat gpt for another day not okay. one of our core values no
1: not one of my core values uh i have one more and uh and i, I struggled with this and then i remembered that uh because i wanted to do something around like Kindness and care and yeah, empathy. I got that on my
0: list, yeah, yeah. And
1: then, so where I landed, I was like, I knew it was in that. And I just, and one, I don't know, have you ever read Parker Palmer? Do you know? Yeah, oh, yeah you ever, sure. Uh, yeah, courage, yeah. courage to Teach. And yeah. so on my blog, I've quoted the same quote from Parker Palmer probably like maybe five or six times over there because mm-hmm. um, he introduces a concept that I think captures this this thing the best. It's the concept of hospitality. Oh, you know, and I think it's like we're not thinking about it from like, oh, you know, you go to the uh, you go to a hotel and oh, that right. you know, the hospitality suite,
0: right? I'm gonna, so i nice read. pillows,
1: yeah, they have great, great pillows, and 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 they have that hospitality bar, you yeah. know, downstairs where you can yeah. get yourself a granola right. bar, you know, Yes. Yeah. uh, no, but here's, I'm gonna read this quote, okay, because okay. I. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to do a, a good job of trying to paraphrase Parker Palmer, right? No. But if, if you're like in a down place with your, like your teaching, I always go back to Parker Palmer and read Courage to Teach because he, it's, I find him inspiring. And I also find it like his perspective on, on things really powerful. So here's what he writes. Good teaching is an act of hospitality towards the young. And hospitality is always an act that benefits the host even more than the guest. The concept of hospitality arose in ancient times when the reciprocity was easier to see. In nomadic cultures, the food and shelter one gave to a stranger yesterday is the food and shelter one hopes to receive from a stranger tomorrow. By offering hospitality, one participates in the endless reweaving of a social fabric on which all can depend. Thus, the gift of sustenance for the guest becomes a gift of hope for the host. It is that way of a way in teaching as well. The teacher's hospitality, the student results in a world more hospital to the teacher. And I'm just like, that's what I want to foster. That's where I like, I'm hoping to create this environment in my classroom that when they leave, they're like going, okay, I'm going to try to be, you know, more empathetic, more caring for their, you know, and I, and, you know, not to like, you know pat myself on the back but I, I i know there are times when i've gotten you know emails from students or letters from students who said you know it's like i'm going to pay this forward you yeah. know thank yeah. you for this whatever you know we don't need to go down that the, those but yeah. i'm going to remember this and i'm going to i'm going to you know put this in action next time and i think that concept is the concept of hospitality right it's like the thing that we're doing for our guests today are the things we're going to hope to be returned either to us or to someone else down the road right and mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe that just got a little, you know, too fluffy for a, you know, a podcast about science and science education. But I think I that's part of. Like, I, I, I'm, I think when I try to capture where I, I am from a value place, I think that's the that's the place that captures it the best.
0: You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a. I think that's a good one. And Karen was on my list, and um, and I'll and I'll. For my last one, I'll build off that and I'll combine two that I feel like are related to each other and I'll try and make a pitch for how I see that. So what I would say is vulnerability and a beginner's mind. So both of those to me are about um, how you orient yourself to this work um, and also how you want your students to orient themselves. So, I mean, vulnerability, I think, is pretty straightforward. And it goes back to something that you said earlier about, you know, what does a trusting environment look like? And a trusting environment is an environment where you feel like you can be vulnerable in a safe way. You can say things that might not be right and it's going to be okay. You're not going to get hillaried. Um, So I think that um, for me, vulnerability is critical, but a piece of that, a a really foundational piece, especially again, for, I think, practicing teachers, but it's true for pre-service teachers too, is that beginner mind piece, which is to say, um, don't assume that you know things, right? Be open to the possibility that what you know is not right for whatever that definition of right means but that you're open to the possibility that i don't I don't know and therefore I'm open to what is possible and I think if you if you can take that mindset and if you can instill that mindset in in the students in your classroom, it's of tremendous benefit because it it does get you as an individual out of the place of of tying your identity. To your practice in a way that's unhealthy, because I do think this is a thing, again, both for pre-service and in-service teachers, um, and it has to do with, you know, the apprenticeship of observation, which we've talked about before, which is, you know, you've watched good, good teachers and and you have a notion of what good teaching is. And so you want to do that. But having a beginner's mind is saying, I don't know what good teaching is and I want to find out. But I can't find out if I've already decided that I know what good teaching is. And so it it you, you have to open yourself to say, this is a chance for me to figure something out. And by figuring it out, like to go to another, connect another piece to this is, you know, the no right answer idea, like t- teaching is not a static thing, right? They talk about it like a pendulum. I'm not sure that's accurate. Maybe it's more like a spiral. Um, in terms of the way that it develops, because you come back to the same things over and over again. But, but that's like teaching, good teaching is about constant improvement. And that can yeah. only happen if you have a beginner's mind, if you have the notion that, like, today, I'm starting again, and I'm going to do something and and I'm going to learn from it. And then tomorrow, I'm going to start again. So that idea of like, really treating yourself always as a beginner.
1: I. I haven't really heard that beginner's mind um, before, but I, I think that the way I, I describe myself to my students and the way I describe myself to, to my family is I'm a work in progress, yeah. you know? Right. And and while it's not exactly the same, but I think it's kind of like rooted in the same soil. Right. In that, yeah. you know, it's that we're constantly working to improve and trying to, and I think, you know, if I were to go back and talk to like, the second or third year teacher that I was, Mm -hmm. I'd go like, dude, you don't know anything. (laughs) You think you know, you think you know it all, but you know, you know, at the time I thought I was like, you know, hot stuff. And, you know, now I'm like going, dude, what an idiot. Oh, like, cause, cause the the more I've learned, the more I've learned that I have to learn, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and the beginner's mind comes from meditation and, and the idea that, like every time you sit down to meditate you're starting over again and and you ha- you have to treat yourself like a beginner and that that includes giving yourself the grace to say sure. i'm just a beginner at this um and and for somebody who's been teaching 10 15 20 years it's very difficult to do that to take a step back and say i'm a beginner at this yeah because you don't want to feel that way it's it's discomforting um it's unsettling and i think that's learning to you know i have a i i probably could pull it up but i won't but but richard Feynman, who's currently over my shoulder in my office yeah, has a, has a wonderful quote about um like one of the things that separates good scientists um from from not good scientists <laughs> is uh is comfort with not knowing things yeah. right to being unsure and and that is an, a really important skill or disposition or value to have right to say yeah i mean i can i can feel unsure and i can still move forward and try things i don't have to say oh i'm unsure now i can't do anything i must stay the way i am because i'm unsure about what what the new possibility is and um i think that's that's not a a great place to be especially in terms of growth
1: yeah well i feel like that would be a like a perfect point for us to insert some joy.
0: Some joy. Why don't you go and be joyful
1: first? Well, it is it is Oscar season. Uh, so Ooh. just recently the uh Oscars were nominations were announced. And so this is usually where I go, oh, this is my time to, you know, check out some movies that I I have, you know, I've wanted to see and, you know, this gives me sort of like a the catalyst to see them, right? Um so I we've been on sort of a a movie, you know, frenzy the last like handful of weeks. And I I'll I'll just point out uh uh one that I think is really really dark, really dark. Um it's a difficult watch, but there's some brilliant acting in it it's the banshees of insurance as i'm pronouncing that
0: right i think
1: yeah yeah yeah. it's 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 irish and uh it's set in 1923 Mm -hmm. and it involves um it's on an island off the coast of ireland and uh it it, it's a about two friends um who the one just doesn't want to be friends with the other one anymore you know Mm -hmm. just like i'm done you know and uh it goes into some dark places but the acting is amazing it is some mm-hmm. really really good it's a dark story um it's a beautiful movie cuz mm-hmm. like the the i mean ireland's just beautiful yeah. Nice. Even though it's like dark and
0: gray most of the time, rainy, <laughs> rainy, yeah,
1: you know, and it's just like I want to hang out in that pub, you yeah. know. They have it's. There's some scenes that are set in the pub, yeah. Of um, course there I'm sure. <laughs> it is Ireland, <laughs> um, right? But but the acting and and the one that, like and I was happy to see because uh, I'd seen the movie before the uh, the nominations came out, and there's um one kid in the movie I think his last name name's uh, Cohan, Barry Cohan, hmm. um who. Is like brilliant in this movie, just brilliant. And um, you I, I, you might have seen him in some other things. I think he was in one of the Marvel movies. Is kind of like a, you know, um, I, I think it was the Eternals. He was in that. Mm, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, but he's brilliant like he is like the best actor in this movie Mm. and and i was just like he is rocking this and he plays a very complicated complex character that um that you feel bad for um but i won't say much more than that but it's dark it is dark and depressing you're like gonna get hit the jaw after
0: yeah yeah that's good you 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 tend to like Stuff like that, I gotta say, both in terms of books and in terms of movies. Not that you don't like other stuff too, but no, no,
1: no, 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 no. I do. You're right. I mm. like. I, 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 I like that at the end of you know a book or a movie or something. To I want to feel something. I want it to be like something. Like I, I just watched Pinocchio the the mm. the new stop action book.
0: Guillermo del Toro one. Yeah. yeah, it
1: was it was nominated, and yeah. I just was it was beautiful, but I was bored. I didn't feel a thing. Not mm. a thing. You know, so it was like two hours of my life that I just was like, okay, I watched it and I was like, okay, I'm going to get, is there going to be a payoff? Cause you usually get the payoff with his movies, right? There's yeah. usually the, like, there's so many of his movies that it's like, you just, at the end, you just feel like, yeah, mm. not this one.
0: No, not that one for you. That's nope. not a joy. But let's, yeah, so we're, let's no. focus on the joy. The, the Banshees joy, yeah. of Inishim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I just keep that calling one. it the Banshees, the Banshees yeah. movie. That's good. Yeah. Cause I can't pronounce the other part. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, I may be pronouncing it core wrong value, too. core yeah. value, core value, Can't pronounce. Can't pronounce it. Bad at accents, no good at pronouncing things. Maybe <laughs> hey, I'm related. really good
1: at one accent. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. You got your one accent. All right. So my um, my joy is I have been watching the English with um, with my family or most of my family, um, and it's on Amazon Prime. It's um, Emily Blunt and. Chase Spencer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name right, but um, he's a, a Native American uh, actor. He was in the Twilight movies, which I don't, I don't remember if I even mm. saw any of those movies, but that's where he cut his teeth. But he's the two of them are just exceptional in this movie, and the, all the acting is great. The um, cinematography is beautiful. It's set in America in the late 1800s. Um, 1890. Um, and, and, um, the chase is, um, is like I said, a native American, but he fought for the, for the U S in the civil war. Uh, he was a scout and he fought for the union side. Um, and he is headed out West to sort of claim some territory so that he can be a farmer basically, um, and Emily Blunt is an English woman and she is coming over because her husband is in America. And I, I don't want to spoil anything, but that's sort of the general plot of it. And the two of them, um, sort of be- team up. Um, and, and it's, it's a series, it's a series. Yeah. It's a six sure. episode series. Um, and and I've just found it exceptional. Like there's nothing, uh, nothing bad about it. The acting is beautiful by all of the people involved the scenery is amazing um there's some really horrible reprehensible people um and but they're super well acted and the whole um the whole movie is or the whole series is just really fascinating and it's it's about it tells us something about early america and the relationship between the english people who were coming to this country and the and the native people who were here um but it's and the and the complexity of all that and but the two of them are just like breathtakingly good at this yeah, um, Emily so, is, yeah she's
1: yeah. she's solid you i don't know, know the other actor but i i mean he does a a great
0: job but even the even the supporting cast is is really pretty great um there isn't really a a bad seed amongst them um and but yeah i i uh i can't recommend it enough it's it's one of the better things i've seen in quite a while and it's um i mean it's violent it's it's you know not sad like the banshees (laughs) is sad but it's got a lot of dark stuff in it um and a lot of killing uh, of all sorts of people um in different ways but but it is um yeah it is really well done so
1: that's awesome highly recommend two good recommendations for
0: depressing
1: depressing (laughs)
0: slash deadly uh movie movie slash series
1: yeah yeah Yeah, so there you go (laughs) we found joy there (laughs) that's that's
0: where our joy lies so that's that's a nice bookend the front end, we get roll. scatological. The back end, we get depressing, dark, and violent. So uh,
1: yeah, mm. that's,
0: a, that's a sandwich for you. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. The, hopefully the middle part with all our values.
1: You found you some know, joy there. Maybe yeah, resonated yeah. a little. Sure. Well, hey, we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.